Before this podcast starts, we'd like to warn listeners that this episode contains subjects relating to the 1971 Ibrooks disaster that some listeners may find distressing. This is The Scottish Football Citizen. On the 2nd of January 1971, an old firm derby match between Rangers and Celtic took place at Ibrooks. While the game itself was a poor one by the standards of Glasgow's world-famous derby, it was one that unfortunately is remembered for all the wrong reasons. Rangers were hosting Celtic that day, and a capacity crowd of 80,000 turned up at Ibrooks to take in the game. Fans travelled from all over the country to support their teams on a foggy day in Glasgow. Both teams were looking to make up ground on Eddie Turnbull's Aberdeen side, who were top of the league at the time, and Rangers had been forced to play a New Year's Day match against Falkirk at Brockville, where they lost 3-1. Celtic hadn't won a New Year's derby at Ibrooks for 50 years, and they were desperate to break this record. The lineups on that day were as follows. Rangers Gerhard Neff Sandy Jardin Willie Matheson John Gregg Ronnie McKinnon Colin Jackson Willie Henderson Alfie Conn Derek Johnston Dave Smith and Colin Steen The substitute was Alex MacDonald Celtic Evan Williams Jim Craig, Tommy Gemmell, John Brogan, George Connolly, Davy Hay, Jimmy Johnston, Harry Hood, Willie Wallace, Tommy Callahan, and Bobby Lennox. The substitute was Lou McCarry. The game itself was very dull, with very little in the way of action at all. Things changed though in the 89th minute when Jimmy Johnston scored with a header and the green and white end of the stadium erupted with joy. It looked like their hoodoo was about to be lifted. As Celtic celebrated, some Rangers fans decided to head for the exits, believing that the game was as good as over. However, Rangers went up the park immediately after kicking off again, won a free kick and Colin Steen put the ball in the net for the light blues. Celtic's hoodoo would remain after all, and Rangers would be able to celebrate a last-minute point. The game ended all square at 1-1, and the fans made their way to the exits, the Rangers fans celebrating as if they had just won instead of drawing the match. Ibrooks had witnessed one disaster many years ago, in 1902, when Scotland hosted England in the Home Championship Tournament. In 1902, Ibrooks' terraces were large and wooden, built with huge frames not dissimilar to American-style bleachers. Archibald Leach, the famous stadium architect, had designed the stadium. Many of the crowd made their way onto the West Tribune stand, and it was estimated that as many as half of the crowd watched the 1902 game from that stand. As the match was being played, An overcrowded section of terracing at the back of the West Tribune stand gave way and collapsed. 
hundreds of spectators suddenly fell around 40 feet, leaving 25 dead and over 500 injured. Archibald Leach was a dedicated Rangers fan as well as an architect and was distraught by this disaster. He was engaged to rebuild the stadium into one of Britain's largest grounds. The wooden strutted terraces of 1902 were replaced by huge banks of earth and concrete terracing that could accommodate thousands of spectators without fear of the structure collapsing. Innovations such as this and his patented cross barrier system were adopted as standard by stadium designers the world over. Leach's main stand at Ibrooks is still an excellent piece of architecture and has influenced many stadium designers over the years. By 1971, stadium designs had not changed much from the early 20th century, and few questioned the safety of their design. When these stadiums were built, the emphasis was placed firmly on maximising the amount of supporters that could possibly fit into the stadiums, with very little thought given to supporter amenities or even how well supporters could actually see the match. If you looked at the supporter experience in stadiums in 1902, and 1971, very little had changed. In 1971, many Rangers fans in the North Terracing heading towards the city centre would have headed for Stairway 13 at the Copland Road end. This was the closest stairway to the Copland Road underground station and consisted of steep concrete steps going down five flights, divided into seven lanes. As a result of the design of the stadium, anywhere between 18 to 25,000 fans would have been making their way out of the ground by this stairway. This stairway had a dangerous reputation with fans, as there had been crushing on the stairs in 1961 when two people had been killed. And further incidents occurred in 1967 when 11 people were injured and in 1969 when 26 people were injured. Many Rangers fans who had exited the ground via Stairway 13 in the past had noted that when they were in a big crowd about to go down the stairs, they had no idea where the top of the stairs started or when they would even start going down them. Rangers had spent £150,000 on ground improvements after the 1961 incident. Rangers employed a civil engineer after the 1969 incident to prepare a report on how the stadium could be further improved, but by 1971 the recommendations made in the report had not yet been implemented. Back then, supporters were used to large crowds swaying and being packed tightly on big terraces like the ones at Ibrooks, but this was different. Six minutes after the referee ended the match, tragedy struck. Robert Duncan, an eyewitness, saw the crowd leaving via Stairway 13 and told news reporters that a young boy on an adult's shoulders threw his jacket into the air before falling down near the top of the stairs. This may well have been the cause of the crush, but according to Professor Keith Still, an expert in crowd safety, it could have been this, someone tripping or putting a foot out of place combined with being near the top of the stairs that caused the crush. Due to the volume and the flow of the crowd, hundreds of people then started to fall and become trapped under the weight of other supporters. John Hodgman, 
who was at the game as a young reporter, had been injured as a teenager in the 1961 incident and the force of the crowd pushed him towards the stairway. Holding on to struts in the fence before the stairs started to cascade downwards, he held on for dear life, not knowing that his life would be saved by doing this. His article in The Guardian gives a first-hand account of both crushes in 1961 and 1971 and is titled Singing and Dancing to Their Deaths. Because of the sheer volume of the crowd that day, fans still down on the terracing would have been totally unaware of the crush happening on the stairs. Although the flow of the crowd still forced people down the stairs as more people became trapped and unable to breathe, it eventually dispersed after around 10 minutes. This allowed for St Andrew's ambulance staff, police and first aiders to start pulling people out of the wreckage of bodies and buckled railings. As all this was happening, the players were still in the changing rooms, reflecting on a dull match that had livened up in the final two minutes. Around an hour after the game ended, bodies started to be brought into the changing rooms. Both Willie Waddle and Jock Steen were out helping the police and medical staff to try and save as many people as possible, with Steen's assistant Sean Fallon giving the kiss of life to a victim, saving them. Many fans who left the game from other exits had no idea there was anything wrong until the evening news dispatches came in on the radio and television. A total of 66 people died as a result of the crush on Stairway 13, the worst disaster in Scottish football history. A service of remembrance was held at Glasgow Cathedral in their memory and Rangers sent representatives from the club to every single funeral that took place. The town of Markinch in Fife was very badly affected by the tragedy as five young boys between the ages of 13 and 15 were killed in the crush and memorials to fans who had perished were erected across the country. The youngest victim of the disaster was Nigel Pickup of Prescott in Merseyside who was only eight when he died. It was his first ever football match. In the aftermath of the disaster, Rangers took it upon themselves to rebuild a new, safer Ibrooks in order to make sure that such a tragedy could never happen again. Immediate improvements were made to Stairway 13, such as replacing the wooden fence supported by concrete pillars that hemmed fans in with open railings. A wall was also built at the top of the stairs, forcing supporters to walk around it and restricting the flow of future crowds. The North Covered Terracing, known to some fans as the Derry, had benches put in and was renamed the Centenary Stand in 1973. Willie Waddle, Rangers manager, was determined that the stadium as a whole had to be totally transformed and travelled across Europe to view stadiums. He took inspiration in particular from Borussia Dortmund's Westfalenstadion and in the late 1970s Ibrox was redeveloped into a modern 44,000 capacity stadium. Upon completion, the most modern stadium in Britain. All clubs in Britain had it made clear to them by the government that safety of supporters was very much their responsibility in the aftermath of a fatal accident inquiry and the review of UK sports stadiums. The result of this review 
was in the 1975 Safety of Sports Grounds Acts, which led to changes at many stadiums across the country. Ibrooks became a model stadium in terms of supporter safety, being redeveloped well ahead of Celtic Park and Hampden, both of which were rebuilt in the 1990s following the Taylor Report. Today, all 12 grounds in the Scottish Premiership are all-seater stadiums with modern facilities and were built with spectators' needs and safety coming first. On the 30th anniversary of the disaster in 2001, a memorial to the victims of the 1971 disaster was unveiled at Ibrooks, in the form of a statue of John Gregg, with a set of plaques containing the victims' names. Ten years later, on the 40th anniversary, the club captains at the time of the disaster, John Gregg of Rangers and Billy McNeil of Celtic, led out their respective teams onto the field with wreaths honouring those who died. While there will be no fans at Ibrooks on the day of the 50th anniversary of the disaster, both teams will take time to pay tribute to the victims and remember them. The disaster should never be forgotten and the names of those who died will always be remembered.